My name is Dr. Ian Storch. I'm a board-certified gastroenterologist and osteopathic physician, and you are listening to DO or Do Not. If you're interested in joining our team or have suggestions or comments, please contact us at doordonotpodcast.com. Share our link with your friends and like us on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to DO or Do Not. On today's episode, we have Dr. Tella Kessem, a board-certified ophthalmologist who specializes in the treatment of glaucoma and cataracts. She received her medical education from A.T. Still University School of Osteopathic Medicine in Arizona, completed residency at the University of Louisville in Kentucky, followed by a glaucoma fellowship at the Storm Eye Institute Medical University of South Carolina. She currently practices at the MUSC Medical Center in Charleston, South Carolina. Dr. Kessem speaks with us about her journey, how she has balanced her career and parenting responsibilities, as well as her newfound passion for helping other physicians as a life coach deal with important problems such as physician burnout. We hope you enjoy this episode. My name is Hadi Tariq, and I'm an OMS-1 at the Alabama College of Osteopathic Medicine. Today, I am joined with Dr. Tala Kassam, a board-certified ophthalmologist. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, so let's start with what your normal day looks like. You can start in the morning and take us through what your work and responsibilities are. Okay, so yeah, so as Hadi said, I'm an ophthalmologist. I did a fellowship in glaucoma, so I primarily see glaucoma patients, but I do see some general ophthalmology patients and I do cataract surgery. So typical workday starts between eight to eight 30 and that's a clinic day. And so I'm in clinic when I'm full-time, you know, four days a week or three and a half days and in the OR one day a week. So the clinic days are typically like an eight to five schedule. I recently started a little bit later at 8.30 so I can have more time in the morning with my son before I go to work. I'm at the University Medical uh, University of South Carolina, so academic institution, and I go to our main downtown clinic at the university, but then we have a bunch of satellite clinics too. So I go to four different locations, which I actually don't mind. It's kind of nice to mix it up and patients are happy that we're kind of reaching out to their area. And like I said, kind of clinic day with lunch break and usually done between four to five. In terms of clinic volume, I'm in South Carolina and there's a huge shortage of glaucoma specialists. So my clinics are busier than I'd like. (laughs) I'm seeing usually around 40 patients a day and it's a lot. I mean, but in ophthalmology, we do have higher volume clinics because the visits are typically shorter than like internal medicine or, you know, primary care visits. And then OR days, you know, start at 7 a.m. and then can be done anywhere between 2 to 4 p.m. And usually doing between 10 to 15 surgeries. And those are mainly cataract surgeries and then maybe three or four glaucoma surgeries. Wow. That is a very busy schedule. It is. So I actually, in this last year went down from being full-time, as I mentioned, 
you know, a full-time schedule would be like three and a half days of clinic and then one day of OR and then some admin time. Because being at the university, I do, you know, resident lectures. I have residents with me in clinic. We had a glaucoma fellow. So a lot of teachings happening, research expectations, of course, too. And so I've gone down to a 0.8 of a full-time employee. So that's more like four full days and then one day off. And I wanted that extra day to spend time with my son because the weekends just, you know, go so fast and you're having to do errands and house tasks during that time versus quality time with him. So, so that was a really good transition and move that I'm happy that I made. You have a DO degree. Many health professionals who work within eye health, they have an OD, which is an optometrist. Do you often get confused with optometrists? And can you explain the difference between the two? Yeah, happy to. Surprisingly, it hasn't really come up. I think again, because I am at the university and patients are coming to me with diseases, they know that I'm a doctor. A lot of times, I don't think they even know that I'm a DO. And if they do, they ask what it is. But so that hasn't been too much of an issue. I think maybe if I was in private practice, a lot of private practices co-manage with optometrists. So that could get confusing there. So an optometrist, it's a four-year degree. They don't go to medical school. So they go to college and then they do their optometry degree. And I explain it to patients like they're specialists in glasses and contact lenses. And so they aren't medical doctors. They haven't gone to medical school and they can treat some eye diseases in their early stages. So like a lot of them will see early glaucoma, but they're not doing laser treatments. They're not doing surgeries and they don't have the medical background that we have of the rest of the body. So, you know, being ophthalmologist, I'm a physician. I did an an internal medicine year. I learned, you know, everything in med school that everyone else learned. So I have that background kind of informing my decisions. So how did you become interested in medicine and decided you want to be a doctor? It's kind of been in the back of my mind, my whole life. My mom was actually a physician in Syria. And when she came to the United States, she did not go back to medical school and residency and all that. So she was kind of more of in a survival mode. That's a story on its own. (laughs) So I knew that she was a doctor from a young age and it was just her and I for a while. And so she's always been my biggest role model. And so she kind of planted the seed. And then it wasn't until college that I kind of was like on the pre-med track and then like, wait a minute, is this actually what I want to do? So I ended up taking a year and a half off before going to med school to check that that was really what I wanted and take some time to just kind of reflect and see, you know, why am I doing this? Is it for me? Is it just because I'm around a bunch of pre-med people? You know, is this what my mom wants? So it was really valuable time to kind of, yeah, just like step off the conveyor belt that you can get on going the pre-med track. That's some really good advice for students who have parents who are physicians, because we Mm -hmm. often are tunneled into the field. Do you have the same? Yes. Both my parents are too. Okay. Yeah. A lot of reflection. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was, it was hard to tell, you know, what were their ideas, her ideas, and what were my ideas at one. So where did you go for undergrad school and were there any experiences there that led you into medicine? Yes, I went to University of Texas in Austin. I grew up in the Houston area and then so went to UT. And there was one particular experience where I was working on my application for medical school and I went to the office of the dean of chemistry. He was our chemistry teacher. 
I sat down and he said, so tell me about yourself. And I just looked at him and just started crying. And (laughs) I just felt like, I don't know how to even answer that. And so that was kind of like that moment of like, what am I doing and why am I doing this? And that just, so to kind of answer the thing that I just told you, like, that's, that's what catapulted me deciding to take time off and making sure I was making the right decision. So I guess it wasn't that anything in college made me pick medicine, maybe more just reevaluate the decision I had already. How did you first learn about osteopathic school and what made you choose the school that you ultimately attended? Yeah. So I was going through the application process. So I was out of college. I was living in Austin and working at some restaurants and I was applying to allopathic and I had my own experience where I all of a sudden got this really bad headache and it felt like the worst headache of my life. And I had neck rigidity and I went to the ER and I had a friend go with me who I didn't even really know that well, because all of my friends left after college. And I, so I kind of like felt alone. And then I had this ER doctor who just was this older guy who wasn't really explaining anything to me. And then was basically working me out for meningitis and needed to do a spinal tap. And I was totally freaked out and his bedside manner was terrible. And I just remember he was like digging around back there and like pulled the needle out. And the guy, like my friend who was with me was like, the needle was bent. Like, like, what is he doing? (laughs) I was mortified. And so it just was one of those moments where I was like, I don't want to be a doctor like that. And my mom, meanwhile, she ended up getting into the medical field, doing EMGs and nerve conduction studies and working with a lot of different doctors. And she was like, you need to apply to DO school. It's different. Like I work with DOs and they're amazing. And they're like normal people, (laughs) like more well-rounded is what she was trying to say. And I had a degree in nutrition from college. And so I already knew I kind of wanted at that time, I thought I wanted to do like preventive medicine and holistic care. And I've always been kind of like conscious of my health and just, you know, how important it is to exercise and eat well and like the full, you know, human experience. So I looked into it more and then applied to both programs. And I just really liked the philosophy of the osteopathic medical school route and treating the whole person. And But that ER experience really inspired me that like, I want to be someone who educates patients and takes the time to talk to them and puts their fears at ease. And so then I ended up picking my school. So I went to HT Still University in Arizona and it's in Mesa. So outside of the Phoenix area. And I picked that school because I liked the community outreach aspect of it. You spend the first year in Phoenix. And then after that, you spend years two, three, and four at a community health center or somewhere in the country. And so there's about 10 students at each site. And so you're with that group the rest of the time. And that's where you do your rotations at the health center. And before I went to med school in that year and a half, I took off, I actually went to Alaska and did a nutrition internship there with my degree. And it was a lot of preventive care, you know, using nutrition to educate people to improve their health and work with the native Alaskan population to kind of get back to their native diet. Cause once the Americans came in and (laughs) started giving them their stipends to use the land. They were just eating like, you know, chips and soda and getting, you know, more sedentary, higher diabetes rates, all all the things that we bring. (laughs) Did you feel like having that extra year of community engagement helped you as a doctor today with your bedside manner? I think so. Yeah, definitely. 
I mean, to this day, patients still appreciate, I explain things. I take time and explain things to them, explain their disease, explain the treatments. I don't rush through new patient evaluations. I try to establish that baseline with them. And yeah, I think it helped. Can you share with us more about your experience in medical school? Like I said, the first year we were all in Phoenix and, you know, normal classroom setting. And then after that, I ended up going to the site in Tucson, which is also in Arizona. And so, like I said, there was 10 of us there and spent the last three years there. And so I met my husband in med school and we both went to the Tucson site by coincidence and then became friends there. And he always, you know, points out to me that I graduated number one in our class and I always exercised. I always slept regularly. I didn't pull all nighters and, you know, I was trying to eat healthy as much as you can, you know, while you're a student. And I kind of forget that that's, I guess, somewhat unique. So he always reminds me of that, that I need to like tell people about that. (laughs) But I really think that that was the reason I was successful because, you know, for your brain to be working optimally, you need to be eating well and exercise is so much more than about physical health. It really is for mental health too. And I still feel that way today. Um, I push myself to get up and early and go exercise because I feel so much better emotionally throughout the day and I'm a better doctor for it. And I'm more present to my patients. Um, I don't get stressed out as easily. And so that really helped me in med school and it helps learn time management too, which is just gets harder and harder as you become an attending. If you decide to have a family, you know, you're balancing a lot of different things. And so having good time management skills, even from the beginning is really going to serve you as a physician with our demanding lifestyles and schedules. If you can remember, could you take us through what a typical day looked like for you back in med school? So what I remember most distinctly was when I studied for step one, because it was such a regimented schedule, which obviously is not like normal when I had classes, but, you know, in, in first year, when I had classes, I would always come home and then I would take a break. I would watch like the office or something, or like, you know, take an hour of just unwinding. And then I would reread my notes from the day to really solidify what I had learned from that day. And then I would go and exercise and then have dinner and then like go to bed. And so, and so it wasn't like I was leaving a bunch of studying for the weekend or for the end. Like I was constantly reviewing the material that we were taking in. And then second year, since it was all remote, it was kind of go at your own pace, which was even better because you realize you end up wasting a lot of time in the classroom and everyone's grades went up second year. So you would watch the videos for the week. And then, you know, I take notes while I watch them. And then I would do the same thing. I would review my notes that week. And so it, I don't remember a typical day there, but like I said, for step one, I was studying it would be a 12 hour day. So it'd be like, I'd get up and start studying at seven and finish at 7 PM, but I would take a two hour break in the middle and I would ride my bike for like an hour (laughs) and eat lunch and then finish at seven, have dinner, and then go to bed by like nine, nine 30. So I was getting a lot of sleep. I was getting a lot of exercise (laughs) and it was a grueling six weeks, but I took the USMLE and I took the Comlex and I did really well. And that's why I was able to do ophthalmology. So, I mean, it paid off in the long run. 
Yeah. I'm definitely going to remember that when it comes time for me to do board study. <laughs> yeah. So how did you decide on your specialty and what was your application process like for residency? Yeah. So picking the specialty was interesting. Cause like I said, I thought I was going to do primary care. I, that was part of the reason I picked my school since there was such a big emphasis on primary care. I had the nutrition degree and I was like all gun ho on preventive care. And then I started third year rotations and just realized it was too draining for me, for my personality, because I just wanted to fix everyone and I wanted to fix every problem. And you go into, especially in a community health center where the people are very sick and their problem list is 12 problems. So you're not going to fix them all in one visit. And by the way, like our job as doctors is actually not to fix people, which I'm just now learning. (laughs) That's a whole nother discussion. But it just was too much on me. And I was kind of just going through a process of elimination with the rotations. The funny thing about it is that during our second year, my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, we were sitting next to each other and we had our one hour of ophthalmology and lecture. And so we were like sitting in that and I'm just kind of like, okay, yeah, like the eyeball, that's cool. And my husband looks at me and he's like, you're going to do ophthalmology. And I was like, what? No way. (laughs) Like, I want to listen to the heart. I want to learn about the kidneys. I don't want to give up the rest of the body. Like, there's no way I'm going to focus on one little organ. And then started third year, did the rotations. And I was like, I don't like this. I don't like that. I definitely did not like general surgery. I did not like the lifestyle. And people kept telling me that you need to decide either surgery or non-surgery. But that like branch point didn't really work for me because there was things I liked about both. I liked the procedures, but I liked having the continuity of a clinic and patients that you'd keep seeing. Um, And so that's why I didn't like general surgery because they just come in for a problem, you take it out and then they're gone. That's it. And so I was like, okay, well, what has a good lifestyle and a surgery? (laughs) There's not many options. So then I looked at ophthalmology, ENT. Um, Someone suggested urology, but that wasn't going to happen. And so ENT, I just did not like all the mucous membranes at all. And (laughs) ENT is pretty hardcore too. Their residency is really intense. So I ended up meeting an ophthalmologist. So my program didn't have a home ophthalmology program. And I ended up meeting an ophthalmologist who was near our community health center. And through one of my internal medicine uh, mentors, he introduced me to him. And so I'd go to his clinic and he was huge in helping me decide that I liked ophthalmology and helping me apply because he you know, if you've ever been in an ophthalmology clinic, it's actually really boring as a student, like really, really boring because you don't know what anything means. Everything's in abbreviations, a different language, and it's a dark room. So you're just sitting in the corner. You don't know how to use the equipment and people are just falling asleep back there. (laughs) And so this doctor was really great about teaching me how to use the equipment and letting me have an exam room with a patient and just take my time and learn how to look at the eyeball under the microscope. And he would give me topics to look up so that I was actually engaged in clinic and like kind of starting to understand some of the concepts and diseases. So that really helped. And then, yeah, the application process, I was really on my own. I had to do all the research of how do I get research projects, you know, without a home program, getting good letters, And then I figured out doing away rotations. That's really what helped me the most. So at the time, there wasn't really a limit on away rotation. So I did like four aways. And 
you know, they'll, they'll tell you when you get to that point in your medical school training, some people like to be careful with the weight rotations. Cause it's basically like a month long interview. So you have to be ready to be on the whole time and show up early and stay late and be interested and enthusiastic and ask questions. And so luckily for me, it went well. And university of Louisville is where I ended up going and they, we hit it off. Like I liked the program and, and they liked me. And so I had my husband, I dragged him with me because he was doing psychiatry. So I was like, well, we have to do away rotations at the same places <laughs> we can match together. And so we went together there. We went to Tulane. We went to GW, George Washington in DC and, oh, and we rotated at university of Arizona in Tucson. And when you were thinking about ophthalmology as a specialty, were you ever intimidated by the fact that it is considered highly competitive? Yeah, I mean, I definitely was worried that I wouldn't match. And I and so one of the things that worked out, I can't remember how I got in touch with this person, but somehow, oh, it was someone at U of A in the ophthalmology program there was like, I know a DO who's at Louisville at University of Louisville, you should talk to him. And so I talked to that person and he was like, you need to come rotate here. They take DOs. Cause that was a known thing that there were, you know, MD programs in ophthalmology that wouldn't even look at a DO application. That's like a weeding thing. If you're a DO, they're not even look at your application. So that's why I ended up rotating there. And that's why I even knew about the program. And I definitely think, yeah, I mean, it was an uphill battle for sure, but I also felt like, what do I have to lose, you know? And so I applied to internal medicine programs too, as a backup. So I was realistic about it and just kind of like, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be, but this is what I want. I'm going to try and we'll see what happens. (laughs) So when you did start residency, did you have, did you notice you had a different experience as a DO compared to your MD counterparts? Um, I don't think so. They were really good there about Yeah. Being fair, neutral. And and actually, so that year that I applied, there was four DOs who matched to ophthalmology that year. And two of us were at U of L. So one of my co-residents was also a DO. Okay. So there's some camaraderie. Yeah. Yeah. So that was cool. Yeah. We had each other. Um, but no, I, the program was great and I didn't feel like there were any issues because of that. Okay. So after residency, what was your experience like looking for a job? So again, for jobs, they don't care if you're a DO or MD. That never even came up, to be honest. And, you know, once you go through residency, it's kind of like it's all evened out. And even if you go to a DO residency, I don't think it's an issue. So when deciding what kind of hospital you want to go to, how did you make that decision? Yeah. So that's a, Yeah, that's a good question because I actually was always planning on going to private practice and I ended up, so like I mentioned, I did a fellowship after residency, I decided to do a glaucoma fellowship and that's how I came to South Carolina. And during my fellowship, my mentor was saying that they were hiring someone and I was like, okay, that's nice. And he's like, well, you should apply like just to get the experience of interviewing. And it's like, okay, sure. Yeah, that's a good idea. I'll I'll do that. Meanwhile, I'm interviewing with private practices in Arizona and Texas where we um, had family and friends, the two cities that are two areas that my husband and I were looking at. And I just kind of realized Well, my mentor, obviously he wanted me to stay, but he was like, you know, 
I was asking him like, what do you look for? And he's like, well, like go for the people. Cause you're going to be spending a lot of hours at work and a lot of the other stuff can be negotiated, but it's the people that matter the most. And MUSC is just a really amazing department. Everyone from the chairman down to the other doctors and the residents, they pick great residents, um, our fellows and the other attendings are amazing. And it, and it's nice to be in a university setting where you have all the other subspecialties right there. So I ended up deciding to stay because of the people and the program, also the location. My husband and I really like Charleston. And, you know, I knew that I wanted to start a family. And I mean, if you go into private practice, it's just very different. You know, the bottom line's about money at the end of the day. And so they'll give you some of the contracts I looked at said, okay, you get two weeks of vacation a year. If you take maternity leave, you have to use that those two weeks and the rest is unpaid leave. And that's pretty standard for private practice. Whereas being at the university, you know, I was able to take four months paid leave with my son. So it's just very different. You know, it's a little, it's more family oriented and And it's just a different mentality. You know, if you want a job, if you're interested in the business side of medicine, then private practice. But if you want a job where you get to just show up and see patients and go home, that's going to be the university. You know, you don't have to worry about hiring and firing. You don't have to worry about the uh, technicians, medical assistants, training them. You know, if, if there's an issue with one, you know, disciplinary action, all that, that's someone else's problem. And so for me right now, that's, it's just better. You know, I want to come home and spend time with my family. I don't want to have to worry about having issues with staff at the clinic. So if you could go back and for some reason you couldn't do ophthalmology, would you choose another specialty? Would you always come back to this? Yeah, I think I would come back to this. I was planning on, if I didn't match ophthalmology, my plan B was to do internal medicine and then cardiology. I can't imagine doing that now. So yeah, I mean, I, I really like my specialty. I think it's really interesting. The surgery is really fun. And to me, the thing that stands out the most is that I really enjoy improving people's vision, which improves their quality of life. And I kind of got deterred by like general medicine or orthopedic surgery where you're dealing with chronic diseases And people like have a hard time taking accountability of those diseases. And so, you know, someone's obese and they have osteoarthritis and their knees bad, and then you replace their knee, but their lifestyle is still bad. So then their knee still hurts because they're not doing the PT and the things they need to do to actually make it better. Whereas with the eyes, you don't have to deal with any of that. You just take their cataract out. They see better. They're happy. Or, you know, with glaucoma, it's like they didn't do anything to cause this it just happened. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the quality of life was a big thing for me versus quantity of life and people, you know, keeping people on ventilators, working in the MICU, it just wasn't for me. Now we're going to switch gears to some questions about your personal life. So uh, what was the application process to a highly competitive specialty? Was it more or less difficult as a woman? And do you think ophthalmology is a good specialty for a woman considering balancing a family and career? Yeah. I don't think being a woman had a negative impact on applying to ophthalmology. It's a very big field for women because of the lifestyle, like I mentioned. 
And I think it's a great field because it's easy, even in private practice, if you do want to go part-time, you can. And even if you stay full-time, I mean, it's busy. Like I said, the schedule can be busy, but it's still outpatient. And when we do take call, you know, it's pretty minimal. In terms of private practice, you end up usually only taking call for your practice. So it's just, you know, a patient calling and saying, my eye hurts. It feels like there's something in it. Okay. Try some artificial tears. We'll see you in clinic tomorrow. You know, you're not going in much to see patients in the middle of the night. And then at the university, you know, of course we take call at the hospital, but the residents and the fellows help with that a lot. And so I only really have to end up going in if there's surgery needed and there's enough faculty that I don't take a ton of call throughout the year. So in terms of lifestyle, ophthalmology is a really, really good field for that, for having a family. And if you want that work-life balance, it's a good one. What challenges did you face through your pregnancies and motherhood while balancing your career? And do you have any advice regarding family planning that you wish you knew? So I was a very alpha person before having kids and work driven and independent and, you know, career driven and all about like, I want to work and work hard. And I still want that, but it's been an interesting transition becoming a mom. And even after I had my son, like at the end of maternity leave, I was like, I kind of don't want to go back to work. And I never in a million years would have thought of myself as someone who would stay home. And there's nothing wrong with it. It just wasn't ever something that sounded appealing to me. You know, I wanted to be in the workforce. And so I obviously went back to work and I'm happy that I did. And I think it's a good balance of having work and having a family, but it's definitely a hard. In terms of family planning, I mean, I would say it's really hard to plan, like to quote unquote plan. And you just have to do what's right for you. I I think some people try to have kids in in med school or residency, and I didn't want to do that. I just wasn't in that phase of my life too. And some people say like, it's good to do it then because the, the baby's so little and they won't remember you being gone a lot. But to me, I loved the baby age and I would have been really sad if I had to go back to work after, you know, six weeks, which is what some of my friends had to do who were in training when they had kids. Um, And I got to take four months with my son. And so I think don't worry too much about it. And also you can't really control these things. (laughs) So I thought I was going to start having a family and fellowship and, you know, your body does what it's going to do. And, you know, you might reproductive health stuff might come up. I had a miscarriage before my son, so you just never know. So I would say, don't put pressure on yourself. Like you need to start a family at this certain time or by this certain age, just do what feels right for you and and your significant other and your career, and it will all work out. But I will say, I'm surprised at how much my perspective has changed towards my career. I still am proud of it and enjoy it, but at the end of the day, yeah, I want to come home and, and be with my son and enjoy this time when he's so young and little because they're changing so fast. Yeah. And so I'm even more grateful for the specialty I picked that I can do that and have that flexibility and decrease my hours, as I said earlier, to have that family time. So you started an organization that addresses physician burnout. Can you tell us more about this, why you started it and how medical students can learn more about it? Yeah. So I actually started struggling with burnout 
a few months into becoming an attending. And a lot of it, I think, is because of my perfectionist nature of just trying, again, to fix everyone, to save everyone, just going above and beyond for every single patient, which obviously the patients love, but it was just really wearing on me. And that in combination with being in a university setting where I see very, very sick patients and I get referred patients from all over the state who other doctors are kind of throwing their hands up and they're like, there's, I don't know what else to do. So I'm kind of like the end of the line and it's a lot of pressure. I mean, it's not life or death, thank goodness, but people come and say like, you're my last hope I'm going blind. So it's a lot. And so I actually got to the point where I had started working with a life coach and her name's Heather Fork and she's actually an MD. She was a dermatologist and she quit doing that after nine or 10 years and became a coach for physicians who are kind of, her whole thing is called like um, the doctor's crossing and doctors who are at a point in their career where they don't know if they want to leave or not. And I wasn't at the point of wanting to leave, but I just felt like I can't keep going like this. And it was really helpful working with her. And she gave me some suggestions of things I can do in my day-to-day work to make it more sustainable and enjoyable for me. Even little things like making like video recordings of myself to show patients instead of saying the same thing over and over and over again to save me some you know time and energy. And so it's helped me a lot. And I joined another organization for women physicians. So, you know, once you becoming, become an attending, I highly recommend looking into it. Um, it's called Empowering Women Physicians. And it's uh, another coaching group led by a physician, Sunny Smith, and she's amazing. And so I did her course and just realized how powerful coaching is in terms of helping I mean, it can help anyone, but in helping physicians and helping people with burnout too. And it's a lot of working on mindset around, you know, our work and working on boundaries. I think that was like a big thing that as doctors, you'll realize, you know, you're a med student now and you feel like you have to do everything you're told to do, which you kind of do, you know, you start your rotations and it's not about you. You don't, know when you're going to take lunch. You don't know when you're going to get a break. You just, you show up, you stand in the OR for hours, you retract for as long as needed. And so that kind of mentality carries on into residency and then as an attending even, and you don't realize like, actually I can say, no, I don't have to see every single patient. I don't have to see the patient who's an hour late. I can make these decisions to protect myself. And it may sound callous, but at the end of the day, you know, you're only one person. You can't see everyone. So I've started getting into life coaching and I'm actually getting certified now to become a coach. And I want to work with physicians with burnout or any kind of, you know, work-life balance physicians who are new at becoming moms and figuring out that balance. And I'm working on doing some group coaching courses for medical students and residents too. Cause I, like I said, I think there's not a lot of resources for us in terms of like mental health and how to take care of ourselves through this. We're, there's so much expected of us as physicians and our patients put us on this pedestal for better or for worse. Like, Oh, the doctor, they have this great life. They make all this money. It's so easy for them. And they will just keep taking and taking if you let them. So working on the boundaries around that and your own self-care regimen can really go a long way and, and make your career longer and happier. That is a really great resource. I'm sure many of us would benefit from it a lot. Yeah. So I have a website. Um, it's drtala.com. 
and spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R. So Dr. Tala, T-A-L-A. And I have an Instagram account and a Facebook page. And yeah, I'm really excited to work with future physicians to prevent them from getting burnt out because it's not fun. (laughs) And you feel like so disappointed too, because you're like, I worked so hard to get to this point and I don't even enjoy it. And so, yeah, I don't want you guys to get there. (laughs) looking out for us. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So uh, we're going to end with our grand finale question. And that would be, what was the best piece of advice that you got throughout your education that you always think of and you would like to pass on to other students? Yeah. So I was thinking about this. It's actually something my mentor from fellowship taught me. He is definitely going to be a lifelong mentor for me. He's an amazing person and, and teacher and and guidance in my life. And he had a lot of really good one-liners for me that I still think about all the time. But one that stands out to me that I think can help you all right now is that learning is painful. (laughs) And you can apply that to anything. But what I mean by that is I think a lot of us who go into medicine are perfectionists and we are afraid to make mistakes. And that's where the learning really is. So once you start your rotations, once you get into residency, you know, take those moments and realize like that's where most of your learning is happening. You know, if you get pimped on a rotation and you miss it, you're going to remember that question. Learning is painful. (laughs) And so even into my career, you know, if I've had surgical cases that I've had complications or didn't go the way that I wanted, those are the cases that I stand out the most to me. And I remember the most, and I've learned the most from those patients have taught me so much or patients who are really sick and they just keep going downhill, no matter what I do, I've learned a lot from them. And so I think it's something you can carry through your career. And instead of beating yourself up, if you make a mistake or something doesn't go the way you want, just try to see what you're learning out of that situation, what you can learn, what the opportunities are there because they're there. That is some great advice to end on. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Yeah, I'm happy to, and good luck to you and to all the students out there and yeah, keep your head up and keep working hard. It's, it'll be worth it in the end. (laughs) This concludes our episode of do or do not. Send all inquiries, comments, suggestions, and even let us know if there's someone you want us to interview to do or do not podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at do or do not podcast for updates. If you enjoyed our podcast, please share it with your classmates and administration. We have plenty of more interviews lined up and we're excited to share them with you. This is Tian Yu Shea. Thank you guys so much for listening to do or do not.